poppin' the Christian bubble. It is now time for the Cultured Christian Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Today's episode is sponsored by independent financial planner Adam Peak. Join us as we provide commentary at the intersection of culture, tech, and faith. Today I have a conversation with Kirk Miller about what does it mean to be a strong man? Look around at our country and our world, the whole world, but I'll leave it to America. What do we hold on? What do we put on a pedestal? We put, we put the jock, we put the, the athlete, we put the, 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 the NFL person. That's who we put on a pedestal that not, nothing has changed. And as I mentioned there in the intro, guys, I am here with my buddy, Kirk Miller, and I am super excited to finally have him on the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, Kirk. How's it going? It's going great. How are you, Kurt? I am doing good. It is good to have someone on the podcast who's actually uh, closer to me. Everybody that I've interviewed is, you know, thousands of miles away where I think you're within probably a hundred miles, right? You're just, uh, just over the river there in Washington. It is 60 miles from Hood River to the I-205 split. Exactly. So So, yeah, so that, so we could, we could have done an in-person interview and you did ask me that, but I, uh, I unfortunately am still a little on the cheap side with my studio setup. So I don't have a second microphone. So even though uh, we could have done it in person, we uh, we opted for another Zoom call, but here we are. So uh, it is the afternoon here. Are you, uh, I'm doing some Guatemalan rum here. I don't know what time you start drinking uh-huh. in the afternoon or if you drink, but uh, just as a little bit of a disclaimer, I am, uh, I am starting a beverage here as we start this discussion. So are you, uh, are you joining me in that or what's going on over there? Um, I am actually drinking a Gatorade Zero. Okay. So um, I haven't started my alcoholic consumption for a Saturday <laughs> quite yet. All um, right. I just worked on my new motorcycle for the past several hours. And so I'm, uh, I'm a little parched. Nice. And uh, a Gatorade Zero hits the spot. I saw those photos on Facebook. That looks like a, a fun, fun hobby you got going on there. Yeah, yeah, it's quite the bike. Kawasaki Concours uh, 14. It's uh, it's a nice bike. I just put on some engine guards. Okay. And the yeah, engine guards, if you fall over, the engine guards hopefully keep it from you know breaking your mirror or whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't been a motorcycle guy, but man, if I've not been around a lot of motorcycle guys, my dad is a Harley guy and a few guys that I work with are big into motorcycles and man, we've had great weather here for uh, motorcycles, haven't we? Oh, we sure have. What a great spring we've had. Of course, we hit the weekend and then uh, it's 50 degrees, but that's, uh, <laughs> that's the Northwest for you. That's life. Well, as we dive in today, and we're going to have a great discussion about what makes strong men, and in a few moments, we'll explain to you kind of where that was birthed out of, kind of where we had that uh, topic come up. But before we do, I like to always just share with the podcast audience how you and I know each other, because you know some people listening to the podcast might know you and say, oh yeah, I know how Kirk and Kurt uh, know each other, but the vast majority of this audience has no idea why Uh, you and I are connected. And so in a moment, I'll give you a chance to share your background, you know, what you do for a living, your family, all that kind of stuff. But I'll just start by saying that, you know, I met Kirk back when I worked in my 20s, back when I was far, had hair on my head, and I was far less mature than I am today. If people think I'm immature today, man, they should have met me in my 20s. (laughs) And uh, I was a young punk who had just moved from Michigan, kind of similar to November of last year, I had just moved to Michigan, to Oregon from Michigan as a young 20 year old. And I took my first full time middle school pastor job at a church called Sunset Prez where Kirk and his wife, uh, Jocelyn, um, attended. And Jocelyn actually was uh, employed there. She worked as one of the admins, I believe. And uh, so I first got to know her and then got to know 
uh, your children through the youth ministry as well. And so that's where we have, you know, got connected. And I was there obviously seven years, but since then, and what I think is really what I respect you greatly for, and I hope you feel the same way is we remain Facebook friends over the years. And Kirk and I, you may see in our discussion today, uh, disagree greatly on a lot of political uh, topics, but we're one of these rare birds that I think um, more of America should be like in the sense that we admire each other's uh, difference of opinion. We interact respectfully. We don't delete each other when we disagree, uh, sometimes challenge each other. I appreciate the way he challenges me to think differently. Um, and so that's really been our connection over the last, what, 12, 15 years as we've been Facebook friends. We haven't seen each other face to face in a really long time. And um, it's, it's really rare and unique, I think, to do, do what we have done, which is hopefully model for some of our friends that you can disagree and you can do so with civility and respect. And I think that makes both of us, or at least I'll speak for myself, makes me a better man to hear and interact with a different opinion. And so that's kind of how we stayed together and where our discussion today actually uh, originated from. And so with that, I'll kind of pass it back to you, Kirk. What, uh, what would you like to share just kind of as a background to, uh, to yourself? Yeah, well, I think that was really well said, well spoken there, Kurt. Um, I was thinking back to my first memory of you. Um, and what's interesting is we know each other probably, at least in my, from my perspective, much better now through a Facebook relationship than we ever did when mm -hmm. we were both at church. Yeah. And, and, I, and I know you worked with Joss and you knew Joss um, better than you knew me I'm guessing uh, but I have this really distinct memory when I first met you um, and yeah uh, young punk was sort of <laughs> a good an apt description because uh, okay. I this young guy with so much attitude it was like wow who is this guy um, and uh, but boy you've, you've uh, you know you've definitely matured greatly uh, as of high you know we all have that's the you know, it's part of growing up, uh, nice. but I just have this distinct memory of when I first met you at this particular event, um, and you might remember it too. Uh, not to go too deep into that, but uh, uh, as for me, a um, little background. Um, you know, as we discussed earlier, I live down in the gorge, and have been down here for about twelve years, twelve, thirteen, fourteen years now. Lost track. We were in the Beaverton area for a, a long time, over a decade. Um, Joss and I both grew up in the Portland area. Um, and then after we got married, spent the first decade or so raising Hayden and Nate there in the Beaverton area. And just got so tired of the traffic and the keeping up with the Joneses that you really feel strongly in suburbia in uh, probably all suburbia, but certainly in Beaverton. Um, it was just a vibe that we were not, we, we became increasingly uncomfortable with and, and wanted to cut bait. And so we did. And we came down to Hood River and we spent eight years there and now another four or five years on the Washington side here in White Salmon. And, um, you know, it was the best decision we ever made, I think. Uh, hmm. Just ra raising the boys here they both graduated from high school at Hood River uh, and just a different lifestyle, uh, a slower pace, yet still close enough to Portland and the city and the urban, you know, environment. And I still worked in Portland, still work in Portland area. Um, so we're down here. Um, you know, I'm a software consultant is my trade. Uh, been in the high, you know, the technology software programming world all my career. Um, and have been very much in the out, into the outdoors, um, increasingly so over the past decade. I'm a ski patroller up at uh, Mount Hood Meadows. So in the winter time, I patrol and I ski, backcountry ski. And in the summertime, I do a bunch of different things, kayaking and rafting and windsurfing and hiking, um, really take advantage of this area. 
um, and she feels so fortunate to live here um, and be able to uh, to indulge that side of my you know of life very easily. Um, but I'm very much an intellectual in terms of uh, ideas uh, and and debate and discussion. And you know, as you've seen, uh, you've been able to follow along with with my happenings and and. And, and what I put out there for public consumption. Uh, I'm pretty outspoken, there's no yeah. doubt about it. Um, and it's an interesting, you know, we could talk about that in more detail if we want, but I was a conservative for 20 years, Kurt. Um, mm-hmm. So, I, and deeply, was strongly held convictions. I would have called myself a strong conservative for a long time, um, and now I don't. And we can talk about why that is if you want, but. Uh, um, yeah, that's sort of who I am and what I'm all about. And I just hit 50 and life's never been better. Sweet. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, soon we, uh, once the weather is kind of more consistently, uh, spring, we definitely need to get out on a trail and definitely have some, uh, some of that mutual, we have some of that mutual interest in getting outdoors. I mean, if you, if you've never been to Oregon or the Pacific Northwest, as a lot of my listeners uh, haven't, um, you really don't know what you're missing out on. But um, that's definitely something I try to do on the weekends as well is get outside because it is such a healing and just all or it's great for every aspect of you being human, you know, your mind, your body, your spirit, all that just gets filled up when you're out there. So, um, so yeah, we'll definitely need to do that uh, sometime soon. Yeah, no, I look forward to it. And yeah, I mean, it's a spiritual quest for me. When I'm outdoors, I feel closest to God. And I, I'm a strong, I remain a strong believer in, in faith and God and Jesus. I call myself a Christian. Um, but yeah, I feel strongest when I'm outdoors and uh, nice. you know, commiserating with nature. Sweet. All right. Well, let's uh, let's dig into the meat of the discussion, because as I said uh, offline there, I told Kirk before we dove into the recording part of this, that our challenge today will be, um, I think, limiting it and bringing it into an hour time frame, because we are both intellectual guys with opinions. And I just see this as I really look forward to this conversation that we're going to have today. And so to bring our listeners up to speed, this topic came out of one of my uh, Facebook posts probably about three weeks ago now. And uh, it was one of these things where, you know, I'm, I'm like you, I, I'm pretty open book when it comes to Facebook, especially because my Facebook is most people don't know this, but you can lock your Facebook down to where it's not even public. It is my Facebook for all intents and purposes is private. I'm sharing with the people that I choose to be in that circle and the public cannot read that. And so I share pretty uh, honestly and authentically there. And so I just threw up a quote from a podcast. I was listening to Joe Rogan's podcast. I'm sure you've heard of it as 15, whatever million followers. Uh, He's got one of the top podcasts in the country right now. And he was interviewing a guy named Marcus Luttrell who's a retired Navy SEAL. And uh, there was a book and a film uh, called Lone Survivor based on his life and some of the stuff that he, um, he went through. And so this quote was one that he quoted, I think it was him or, or Joe, one of the two guys on the podcast. Um, and they kind of dug in a little bit. So I'll read the quote here. And then obviously, we'll We'll kind of uh, get into a discussion about it because Kirk, um, you know, challenged the quote and kind of challenged the premise of, of what I was throwing out there. So here's the quote and and we'll kind of launch from there. And so the quote is hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men and weak men create hard times. And this is by a guy named G. Michael Hoff, I think is how you say his name. And it actually comes from a novel. It's not a politician or, you know, I I looked this up because I was kind of like, who is this guy? Like a lot of times I share quotes and like a lot of people, you don't really do the research as to who is this knucklehead who, uh, who quoted this. 
And so it's actually a line from a book. It isn't something in a speech or something a politician said, uh, but it's one of these things that's gotten a lot of play in 2020, 2021 um, through social media. And so, so yeah, so I threw that out there and um, just kind of felt like it to me, I think I'd put the question next to it is like, um, is this true in our time or something to the effect of, you know, what, what do you think of this? I forget, I forget what I put the qualifier, but basically just kind of asking, like, are we in, what season are we in? Are we creating strong men because we're living in hard times? Are we creating weak men because we're living in good times? You know, that sort of thing. And so, um, so launching from, from that quote and feel free again to, to go right back to it, Kirk, if you, if you want to, but do you, do you feel like we're living in a time where by and large society is making more strong men or more weak men? Well, <clears throat> I think my original quibble, I, I have multiple quibbles with it, but yeah. the one that really jumps out at me um is you know the, the 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 premise is when when someone says something like that it's that you know we 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 used to have strong men and a lot of people just say well you know we have the, the greatest generation and they were the strong men and now we've got these you know these millennials and generation x's and you know they're woke and they're, they're, they cry and, you know, they're, they're, they're soft. And, and, and we, we've moved from strength to weakness and we've lost something. And it's, it's sort of a, a conventional wisdom that I see often said. And um, the, the, one of the quibbles I have is defining strength and weakness. Mm. And how is that done? I mean, it's not the moment you get past the sort of the, the gut instinct of, well, strength is, you know, the man who would go off and fight the, you know, the Nazis mm -hmm. and, you know, work hard and, you know, and the weak is, uh, you know, somebody who, uh, you know, needs to live at home at 25 years old and, and, uh, you know, is soft. Mm. I just think that those things don't have any real meaning to me um and and for me a quote like that immediately starts to fall fall apart okay so um, kind of and i and I, I can go go on if you want but let's i don't want to be the only one talking here about that yeah no and i don't want to cut you off if you were you know bringing out more more to that well you know along those along those lines um and and the the conventional wisdom of this greatest generation being strong and more recent generations that are not, not so strong. Um, you know, the first thought I have is, well, you know, again, how do you define strength? And if you, if you think about that greatest generation, yeah, they went and fought the Nazis, but you know, they were also misogynists and racism ran strong and they treated their kids like shit. And they worked way too much, and they were alcohol and alcoholism was rampant. Are those things? Are those points of strength in character in someone's character or not? No. Um, and and in and in more recent generations, um, yeah. So maybe in a fist fight, the the guy the guy from the forties could could take out your average woke urban urbanite, right? Sure. But is that really strength, or is strength having the courage to be yourself and to not conform. You know, you think about, I think about the eighties and this is just you know, going halfway back to those greatest generations, but just in our, in my generation, the eighties was the, the conformity in the eighties at high school was just off the charts. I mean, there were a whole movie, a whole legion of movies made about the topic and anybody who bucked the, the trend was, you know, was in danger of being, ostracized at, at best and you know physically in danger at worst you know god help the, the the poor gay kid you know at that time you know they they had it they were it was merciless um you don't see that as much today and i think that's a point of strength 
And so for me, it's, it's just one of those things that you got to have a discussion to really talk about what it means to be strong, what it means to be weak, or else um, you're left with just the, these conventional wisdoms that break down very quickly. Hmm. Well, you definitely said a lot there and kind of uh, jumps ahead to where, um, where I wanted to get into definitions and um, we can definitely go there um, soon. But I, I think just stepping back for a second, um, I, I will say on the front end, definitely that that quote you know, quotes, quotes like that, and gosh, largely most quotes or labels uh, tend to oversimplify things that are very complex. And so I'll, I'll put that disclaimer out there that absolutely, um, you know, me sharing that and, and the quote itself is overly simplistic and the world is complex. Humans are complex. You brought up uh, great points about the greatest generation, um, which ironically the post, you know, it, it's where your mind went, but it's not, it's not necessarily what exactly what he's talking about in the, in the book, it's talking about, you know, the post-apocalyptic kind of future world, but I see the point you're making that that for us usually is we point back in time and we look at a generation of people and it came from Tom Brokaw's, you know, famous book of coining that term, the greatest generation. I mean, there again, it's easy to it's easy to take apart a phrase like the greatest generation because every generation since then looks at that and says, well, shit, I'm not I'm not as great as that generation. I mean, anytime you say greatest, you're putting it above every other generation. So it's a fair critique to say, hey, I I grew up with a dad or a grandfather who was a complete tool. Um, and he was part of that generation. But I think the point of the book, and to be fair, I haven't read it, but the the grandfather that I grew up with, so I have a, my late grandfather was, you know, grew up um, in the 30s and 40s. He was born in 1932. And I just think of the life that he lived from literally uh, being a poor man in West Virginia. They talked many times about not having running water in their home, uh, live, you know, using an outhouse for their restroom, uh, at times, you know, having just a can of beans for dinner is their, you know, their sustenance for their whole family kind of thing. And so he worked as a uh, coal miner, you know, the story of the, the unhealthy coal mine and just the black lung and all that stuff. And then his story, uh, moved on to where he relocated once he had family up in the Detroit area. He uh, migrated, uprooted his family, his wife and his daughter at the time, and moved to um, to Michigan to get a job at uh, GM. And he worked there for 30 years and uh, built an income and bought a house and got a car and uh, paid off his mortgage. I mean, it really lived the uh, stereotypical American dream for a white man. Um, he, he lived that out and to the point where, you know, when he passed uh, three years ago, uh, had a sizable uh, inheritance for his family because he put money in stocks and played the stock market well. And um, so he rode through, you know, through that generation. So I, I think of him, even though he didn't go to war, my other grandfather on the other side was in uh, World War II in the South Pacific and definitely you know, created some of the stereotypes that you brought up. Um, my father, his, um, my father was a police officer. My dad's side of the family had a lot of policemen in it. And they were all related to um, their stepfather who was in World War II. And so a lot of that uh, masculine man's man kind of stuff came, um, came out of that. So I'm kind of rambling, but all that to say that I, I think that that greatest generation um, has elements of strength in it, but I see what you're saying that it's reductionistic to say that, you know, that's what a man is and anything short of that is not a man. Um, but maybe it's more helpful for us to kind of move on from comparing men today to World War II men, right? Because I, I still mm -hmm. think of those men as, and you yourself, Kirk, I mean, you're, you're, you're a veteran, you know, there, there, there's something on my side of the microphone that I I'm fearful of. I, I don't know as I could go off to fight any battle, you know, forget, forget world war two with the massive scale of war and just the stuff that was going on. 
I don't know as I think of myself as the type of guy that could go and, and do that. And yet, thank God some men did, you know, like, thank God there were people who, who did that. Um, so where, what yeah. are you feeling after me sharing yeah. that stuff there? Well, you know, I mean, I, I had had this conversation just the other day with another Facebook friend of mine, who's a conservative. Um, and, um, Basically, he was making that same point that uh, the, the the current generations are soft, mm. and they wouldn't they wouldn't do such things. And my comment to him was, "Yeah, I've been to boot camp. I've been to Marine Corps boot camp, and you wouldn't believe how many little soft, wimpy kids were in boot camp. They came out hardened Marines, and that's exactly what would happen today with this generation." Uh, that's just that's I think I think we undersell you know what what people are capable of doing and um, if if there was a Nazi Germany that rose up you know in today's world I have no doubt in my mind that people would respond accordingly and uh, and do what needed to be done Hmm. Um, so yeah so you don't give, so the, the one thing that I want to, before we get it, let's definitely go to the defining, I heard you say in your first share that, you, you know, we, I want to talk about what it means to be strong and what it means to be weak. I think that's a very helpful discussion, but before we go there, I want to, I want to kind of go back to, I, I, I wonder at times with the quote, so again, hard times create strong men, strong men create good times good times create weak men, weak men create hard times. I was talking with a buddy of mine kind of through that. And he said, he brought up this term that I I wonder how you would interact with, but he talked about like earning it versus being handed something. And so the idea is that if your generation goes through a particularly hard season, like your country is under attack, literally, like you, you have to reframe that auto plant to build bombers because you're going to go kill Hitler. Like there Mm -hmm. was just a, a whole world approach to this thing that was happening. And I wonder if that made them so when they came back right we can look at the economy after world war ii i mean that that's what created the middle class that's where things just exploded in america pun pun not intended uh after 1945 to 50s um you know this economy just blew up and so i wonder if is there in your mind ever this idea that if a generation has a sense of ownership and earning something that that might create good times and that generally good times would then, you know, create men and women who kind of take it for granted, right? Like, so there's a long-standing season of peace and these children grow up. The greatest generation also had the greatest amount of children, right? They're popping out babies left and right. And those children largely didn't face the threats and the enemies that their parents' generation did, is you know that that's kind of i think what the phrase or what the what the quotes getting at is just from a societal level if you don't have a sense of ownership or earning then you might just kind of have a laissez-faire attitude to the world and that this yeah. long sense of peace might actually be doing us in interact with that a little bit yeah you know i i, I don't disagree with that premise i i really don't i i have quibbles with you know with the strength and the weakness part um, and what that really means. But yeah, I mean, I think it goes without saying it's human nature to, to rest on your laurels when, when things are handed to you. Um, you know, when life is made easy, um, it leads to, to decadence and, and, and decay. And yeah, I, I think that that's probably a universal human trait that, um, that is, is true. I have, I have no disagreements with that at all. Um, and we do see that. Yeah, life is, in a lot of ways, life is easier than they had it back in the, the time that you were describing with your, your grandpa. Mm. Uh, and, and with people who were raised in that greatest generation and, and you know, good on them. They, they, they responded well to the hardship. Um, and, and, and it did lead to you know, to, to the life being easier. And, you know, we know how uh, the history of America has played out in the past 50 years and 
suddenly you have, you know, it's it, the world is easier and you start seeing things spiral out of control in terms of, uh, you know, drug use or divorce rates and that sort of thing. And, mm. uh, but I just think that the challenges, they just, they, they morph. Um, I just, I, I don't know if I'm ready to say, yeah, we're, we've led from this point of things were hard to then, you know, it led to the world and life being easier and then things start to decay. Um, in a lot of ways, life has never been more difficult. You know, while we've got this, a lot of things handed to us uh, and certainly uh, the quality of life and incomes and all those things are, are um, better than they were 50 years ago. 80 years ago. Um, in other ways, life has never been more challenging. Um, you know, I, I, I watch what, what my kids have had to go through, what that generation is dealing with in terms of the, uh, the cultural influences that just hit them, hit all of us, but young people in particular, from every direction that they never had to deal with that in previous generations. And a lot of that is, yeah, I, who created social media? Well, you know, we did, you know, society did based on a level of comfort where, you know, people could focus on building something called Facebook, for example, right? Instead of just, uh, you know, making bombers, like you said. And, uh, but, but that leads to its own challenges. And so these, there's these unique challenges today that they didn't have to, that they didn't have to deal with in previous generations. And so I'm just unsure of, you know, where we stand in that cycle. I, I, again, the cycle, I don't disagree with the premise of the cycle, um, where we had, where we stand now and where things were back then and vice versa. That's what I'm unsure about. And I think that it's the devil's, you know, it, it's a gray area that can be argued in a lot of different ways. That's good. Um yeah, let's move into that definition of, you know, what is a strong versus a weak man? And then, and then we'll just kind of, I'll, I'll tip the hat or, uh, you know, kind of show our audience where we're going into that toxic masculinity discussion. But before we dive into that particular word and definition or that phrase, um, let's talk about what it means to be a strong man or a weak man. And I just want to start by saying that for me, it's funny because, you know, if you visit my Instagram page, I say it in a lot of different places, but I hate labels. I, I, I don't think anybody falls into a simple set of labels. I feel like the, the minute we put a label on somebody, it's like putting them in a box and they yeah, can't I be, agree. they can't be anything else, right? You just see them as that. And so I've observed that in my own life. I've observed that in the lives of students that I work with, with adults, of course. And so the term strong is a label and the term male is a label in our culture. And so I understand we're going in that direction. And so what's interesting in my life, and it even applies to my new job and moving back to Oregon in November, is I'm not, I don't consider myself a man's man. And, and what I mean by that is your typical man is, or I say, I even said that in a in a very uh, objective sort of way, but the, the stereotypical man is somebody who likes sports, somebody who's um, a fisherman, who's outdoorsy, who knows how to work on a car. Uh, a man's man uh, is the guy who can fix something in their house. You know, there's electrical outlet that's broken. They know how to fix it. Um, there are so many ways I can list for you that I don't fit into that model. And so, you know, again, I do yoga, for example. And sometimes when I say that to new people I've met in this town, they're just like, wait, what you, you do yoga. Isn't that what women, women do that, right? Like they're not saying that to my face, but it's kind of implied that women do yoga, not men. Um, and yet again, I don't fit into that, that label of, I just do yoga. Cause I also own a, a handful of firearms, you know? So I'm the guy who go, I'm, I'm comfortable shooting, shooting guns. And I'm also comfortable doing some yoga poses. You know, that's, that's pretty crazy. I yeah, went on vacation. Good. Good for you. Yeah. I went on vacation a few weeks ago and, and visited my dad in Florida. And one of the things I like to do when I'm on vacation is to get a massage and that's one of those things that your typical man's man uh, wouldn't get a massage, right? Um, 
that's something that I remember a, a few churches. I worked at a church. I won't name it and get into that, but I was working at a church and one of the staff members uh, decided to bless the staff or like, uh, how do you say, um, you know, just do something nice for everybody who worked at the church. And so they gave everybody a free uh, massage. You know, this woman came to the church in the afternoon and, and basically was going to give everybody just a shoulder massage, you know, nothing really too involved. And it was hilarious to me that there were literally a few men on staff that refused to get a massage. I will not do that, like over my dead body. Um, and, and I'm not <laughs> saying that that's, again, a litmus test if you're not willing to get a massage or, you know, but, but for me, I felt like th those guys were the guys on staff that, again, they were the men's man, you know, the typical man. And for them to get a massage was... Um, stripping away some of their strength, stripping away some of that image of I'm the guy, I'm the man. Um, right. And so that for me is uh, kind of where I approach this. And, and again, you know, feel free to share, share your story, but yeah. I just, I don't feel like I fit into, you know, when guys start talking about sports at the gym, I mean, I'm the guy who's just kind of nodding my head and I have no idea what they're talking about, you know? Um, so right. It's interesting, right? So, I mean, I, my, the first question I had in my mind as you were saying that was, you know, I'm curious, where does that, where does that definition come from? You know, where are you seeing that? Now you sort of described it then with your example. Um, and I'm just wondering if that, first of all, is that a regional thing? Maybe that's, you know, that was back in D Detroit, right? Back in Michigan mm. in a church environment. And so you're going to get a certain type of, of person um, frequenting, and, and I don't know if these were fellow employees or not, but you know, people who are go to church, men who go to church, you know, they're going to be more traditionalist, right? In general, and of course, you have your outliers, and so I'm just curious. You know, maybe it's just that you know, your circle puts you in front of of men, quote unquote. And, and that stereotype, you know, was sort of became the stereotype of, you know, well, you know, you talk sports and boy, you know, you don't get touchy feely and, you know, a massage, what's wrong with you? Or are you some sort of a weirdo <laughs> kind of thing? Um, whereas I've been getting massages for 20 years here and yeah. uh, out in, you know, maybe it's a cultural thing and just a regional thing. Um, I, I've never seen, I've never come across anyone in my circle who would have ever questioned those things. Um, yeah. But again, I haven't been around church like you have. Right. And so I'm curious whether just our circles, you know, our spheres put us in, in front of, of, of people um, who, who may or may not kind of make those definitions. But in terms of my definition, Kurt, of what a strong man would be, it, it's certainly not physical. Um, and, and I think right there, I break away from a lot of, you know, I, I have friends who, you know, their definition, I'm certain, is what you've described uh, when it comes to a man. It's, you know, how strong are you? Are physical? Can you, you know, are, are you tough? Um, you know, all of these more traditional sort of understandings of manliness. Um, I, I, don't, I don't subscribe to any of those. Uh, hmm. My definition of strength with all people, but you know, we'll focus on men, is things like courage. You know, give me somebody who's courageous. And that's for me, that's that's true strength because it's so rare. It's it's rare in today's world, in our world in America, to see people doing courageous things, you know, bucking trends. Um, uh, doing things that uh, you know others would and it could be anything. It could just be, it could be as mundane as changing up your lifestyle and saying, you know, I'm going to go on that diet or I'm going to start doing, you know, something that I hadn't done in the past. And I had the courage to, to go for it and, and know that I, I needed to, to do X because it would be better for me. Um, for me, that's the mark of, of, of strength um, is courage um, and, uh, and empathy. Because again, it's rare. Uh, it's so easy to focus on, well, how does that affect me? 
we're always defining things around, you know, what is, what's my little example of you know, whatever the context might be, whether it be a political discussion, cultural discussion, whatever. People go to this sort of, all right, you know, Uncle Joe did that one time and he told me he liked it. Therefore, you know, that's my take on that. Instead of standing back and saying, you know, no, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have the courage and the empathy to look at this from another person's perspective. Even if it, even if it's completely foreign to me, and um, uh, and again, it's it's a rare thing, and it seems to be becoming more rare by the year. Um, so for me, that's strength, and uh, and and weakness. You know what is weakness? I I think I don't know. It's it's a little bit more subjective, um, but certainly. You know, people who are cruel to other people, uh, people who don't see, who who don't see the bigger picture of how uh, different aspects of life in, interconnect, um, and just focus on on their their own narrow sort of agenda. You know, for me, that's weak, um, and treating people poorly that's weak, and and not and not looking at the big picture and the the long the long term horizon. Um, you know, that's weak to me, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And, um, yeah, I think the only thing I would add to your strong definition is maybe sacrifice. You know, I think that that's something unique, um, to being strong. I think when you, when you shared the word courage, you know, and this came out of, again, I've had a few conversations kind of leading up to this, just getting people's input and just different married and unmarried men in my life, you know, what it means to be a man, what it means to be strong. And he said something that I thought a friend of mine said something that I thought was interesting as he talked about, he said, he feels like society is having, we're, we're kind of correcting, right? Some of these things that were wrong about from the greatest generation to today, you know, we're, we're adjusting, we're, we're, we're seeing some of these expectations and this will lead into the toxic masculinity thing. We're, we're adjusting as a culture in, in an appropriate way to say, Hey, maybe some of the expectations that we placed on men in forties and fifties and sixties were, um, not good, not fair, not helpful to the individual as a man, but also not helpful to our society that it created, all sorts of other uh, systemic problems in our in our culture. Um, the the thing that's he said that that stuck with me is he said, but we have to be careful um, not to throw out the baby with the bathwater. And I felt like that was a good point to say. Sometimes the pendulum swings, and we're adjusting, we're correcting this, and we can. I, I feel like, and I'm definitely not saying this of you, Kirk, we've not had this discussion long enough to even, for me to even begin to ju- make that judgment on you, but I feel like some people, when it comes to this topic, are throwing out masculinity and malehood completely. Like the whole concept is just thrown out the window to where we're almost kind of creating a unisex person that is just, there are, there are no gender roles, there are no gender... Um, there's no norms. There's nothing that makes a man a man. And, and I don't hear you saying that today, but I, but I just wanted to go there for a minute because I feel like when you use the word courage, the first thought that came to my mind was you remember, what was it two years ago, three years ago? Now, this is terrible. When we get older, we forget how many years it's been, but it was a number of years ago now where the, uh, Las Vegas shooter, you know, shot, um, people from the hotel room, you know, tragedy, the horrific shooting. Yeah, it's terrible. And, and we're all watching this and just remember hearing the shots fired and just people like fish in a barrel are just getting shot in this field, watching this concert, these innocent people. And, and the thing that just choked me up emotionally Um, and probably still could if I talked about it, was a few weeks later, maybe a month later, the um, footage from the policeman's uh, vests, what do they call that? The, 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 um, Helmet the, cam or the yeah, uh, the, not the cam. dash. Cam, yeah, the body cams uh, came out and literally showed that concept. I'm sure you've heard before of you know, call it firemen, EMTs, policemen. They are running into that field 
when everybody else is running out, you know, you're watching these, these men yeah. all suited up, they're running into that field, facing their own mortality. Well, hundreds of people are racing past them, screaming their head off because somebody is shooting into this field. To me, that's courage. That's a strong man. That is someone who is literally running into a dangerous situation when the average person would be screaming at the top of their lungs to get the heck out of there. And so I wonder for you again, is there, is there a place with a gender attached to it? I, I am going there to say, is that a masculine trait? Are we throwing out that idea that there is something within man some men, okay, maybe that's the point of of, of de demarcation. Not all men, but is there is there a place for men in our culture to be courageous, masculine, strong, to where policemen, firefighters, you know, yeah. those those fields, you know, military, those are typically male uh, men by and large. They're still majority uh, male. Is is there something to that, or do you think that that's you know getting off yeah. base from what you just shared? Well, I have a, a couple of thoughts on that um, that probably differ. I do understand what you're saying, and, and that's certainly a, a traditional concept of, of courage and, and masculinity. Having been in a war, um, and to a lesser extent as a ski patroller, but just a as a first responder, um, when you run towards the danger, it's not a, it's, it may look like courage, but it's really not. And I'll tell you why, because these guys, they want that courage. They want the, the adrenaline, rush. they put themselves there as a responder to respond. They don't want to be bored. They, they want to go to war. Mm -hmm. Not all, certainly not all. But it is, it's an adrenaline rush. It is a, oh, we're finally getting to do what we were trained for. They're running with enthusiasm to take that guy out in, in, the, in you know, the shooter. They, they've been dreaming of that moment their whole lives. And, and it's not, it's, it doesn't take any, any prompting. Hey, oh, I got to reach down and be courageous right now. They, this is the moment they've been waiting for. Now, good. I'm speaking generally, and you can certainly find examples of where that's not the case. Hang on a second. But, but generally, I, I just think that that, in my experience, and again, my I've had firsthand experience. That's far more indicative of the moment than 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 true courage, as I as I describe, as I define it. You know, I. For me, the true courage, you know, it's the single mom who, who's got a, just a horrible challenge. It's just a challenge to try to make it through, well, in one piece. Um, and, 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 or, or the, the guy, the man, if we we'll put this back to men, who reaches down and says, you know, I could cut bait right now and, and, and leave this situation that I find difficult. But I'm going to stick to it because it's the right thing to do, uh, and I'm I'm going to take a courageous stand. For me, that strikes far more towards courage than what than what you've described. Again, this is my my two cents, and and just one one second point second a second point on this topic. You know, when it comes to man and, and courage and uh, not courage, but you know. Uh, the topic of uh, of men and um, what was the way you described it? What's the term? Um, uh, toxic max toxic masculinity, right? Yeah. I know Is that a that, thing? Well, and I know that's a thing for some people, and it's a it's a big thing you hear in in some circles. Um, and, and I think on the surface, it seems like you could point to these examples. I, I hear this on like talk radio all the time, actually. You know, I know it's a big topic of right-wing talk radio is toxic masculinity and oh, the, the men and they, they're always made to look like fools. And I, I listen to that stuff, I understand it. And I've put a lot of thought into it. But the reality is this, again, this is my reality, but I think it's a true reality. Look around at our country and our world 
the whole world, but I'll leave it to America. What do we hold on? What do we put on a pedestal? We put, we put the jock, we put the, the athlete, we put the, 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 the NFL person. That's who we put on a pedestal that not, nothing has changed. It's still very masculine things that are held to the highest standard. You know, the cool kids are still the jocks, Kurt. It's not the, you know, I was a football coach in high school a few years back. Trust me, nothing's changed. And, and, and that's the thing I think that gets lost in that sort of, whoa, men are, have it so hard nowadays. No, they, they really don't, actually. And, and what we're seeing is a, is a little bit of a balancing of things that are long overdue, of men, you know, considering other aspects and and it's back to that empathy point of empathy stepping out of their little shoes into someone else's and 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 not just being about me 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 and and my existence if that makes sense yeah and you know i did a little research into you know where toxic masculinity came from and you know it's it's one of those terms actually started in the feminist um, movement from what i could tell in different uh, papers and college campuses and then to your point now it's kind of um you know used by the the conservative the right wing um as a little bit of a how do you say uh a political point but i think cultural warriors yeah, and I think, but, but going back to the Me Too thing, right, and just how men are often the perpetrators of, you know, sexual, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, like aggression and, and mm-hmm. different things. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not the guy who uh, says that that doesn't exist. I'm not ignorant to not say, again, back to what I was saying earlier, I think I think there are appropriate cultural adjustments that are being made right now um, as far as the role of man, uh, what masculinity looks like. Um, one of my least favorite phrases that I still hear occasionally is the phrase man up. You know, you just got to man up, you know, this yeah. idea that you're, you're a wimp if you think that. You're weak if you do fill in the blank, you know, like that's literally I've heard that said to me. Um, just as recent as like five years ago. Um, so I, I think again, yeah. where, where I'm at on this and kind of my work with students. So I've worked with, you know, middle school and high school age students. So I've seen um, through the last 20 years, kind of some of that evolution when it comes down to the uh, teen level. And I know you see it uh, raising, raising kids yourself, being a parent, Um, But the thing that I'm fearful of, kind of this is maybe where we'll, the last topic we'll kind of discuss is where I see as the future, as we're moving forward and and where the future's going. And and one thing that troubles me about this pendulum swinging and just kind of where this correction may be throwing the baby out with the bathwater, like my friend aptly um, said, is that I see a lot of confused, um, timid, uh, men today. I, I see boys that are growing up in a world that as we're trying to make these cultural adjustments, they don't know what's okay. They don't know how to interact with girls. They don't know how to, um, you know, to express their angst, you know, to um, get out some of that internal, like physical, like I think of just, this is a funny example from the last week. I literally was at my youth group this week and something happened. And I was like, I'm going to mention this on this podcast with Kirk, um, because it was just such a stark example of what we're talking about. But these guys at the end of our, our Wednesday night group, it's, it's a small group of, of adolescent, you know, middle school age boys, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, and we were done, you know, the, the church time is over, if you will, and the, they're waiting for their parents to pick them up. And without any adults um, spurring this on, they decided to pick up, uh, there was some pillows and there was uh, one kid who grabbed the top of a trash can and turned it into a shield. And they just started having a little battle. Like they were, they were swinging each other with, with pillows. And the one kid was throwing up the, like Captain America with his, um, you know, the top of the trash can. And they were just roughhousing is the the term I would use. They were just kind of like interacting with each other. And I watched that and I thought, 
I felt, and again, feel free to push back based on what you're sharing, but I felt like that was a little moment where they were, uh, they were being little boys, they were being masculine and they were, they were free to do that. And they were doing it without any cultural, again, no one said, Hey, let's pretend like we're boys or let's be, you know, let's do this thing here. And no one was getting beat up on. I mean, I'm obviously aware of what's happening. No one's being bullied or there's no weak boy who's getting slammed over the head. It was equal. How do you say, um, you know what I mean? Like there, it was clear that it wasn't like somebody getting beat up on, but they were just having fun. You know, they were just interacting. And I felt like that's something that's lost. I feel like we may have lost in our culture is that place for, for boys and young men to, to roughhouse and to just be sweaty with each other. And that, and again, I'm saying that as a non-jock, as somebody who's not like on these sports fields, but do you think there's a healthy place for that as boys that they, that they can release some of that inner aggression and just kind of wrestle with each other and just be, um, you know, cause well, yeah. again, that's maybe a traditional view, but I feel like that's what you don't see the girls doing that girls aren't necessarily at that age. They're not going over there and spontaneously wrestling and pulling out, you know, slamming no. each other with pillows, but boys at that age tend to be like that. Is that, do you think that that's a trait of being a boy or is that something else that's going on? Oh, I think that abs- that is. And I think uh, what you're describing is something that happens, right? I mean, that kids are kids, boys are boys. Um, I, I do understand what you're saying about the, the confusion. Um, it's a real thing. And it's, I don't have any easy answers for that. Society is clearly going through a reckoning and, and there's a lot of change taking place culturally right now in, in this day and age. Um, and, and I understand the, the confusion and the role of, you know, what does it mean to be a boy and, and what is acceptable behavior? Um, you know, back in the day, you might've, you know, going up and hitting a girl on, on the butt, that was, that was okay. You know, I mean, you might have gotten a squeal or maybe they yell at you, but you weren't going to get, you know, it wasn't going to be on the nightly news kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I get that. um, And there isn't any easy answers. And these things are settling into into some new place. I don't think it's necessarily all good, all bad. Um, You know, there's this jumbling of a new normal that's taking shape. I don't think we need to be afraid of that new normal. Um, I do think it needs to be watched carefully and persons such as yourself who have a role as a mentor to people who are, you know, to young young men and women, um, you know, this is great stuff. It's good that you're perceptive and you're helping shepherd uh, them into adulthood um, and, and helping them along in their journey. And that's what they need. That's that's the great thing about church, um, and not just church, but you know that's one thing that church does well is it's that the 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 group and the ability to talk things through instead of being alone and isolated and trying to figure these things out yourself as a young person. You know that's a recipe for disaster, especially especially with the internet and different ways of, you know, you can get information, you can get pornography, you can get all these things that can do real damage. Um, And so we're in a tough time. That's part of this theme of, you know, is it harder now or is it harder, you know, 50 years ago? In a lot of ways, it's harder now for these exact reasons that we're talking about, because Mm -hmm. there aren't black and white, and this is what it means to be X, and this is what it means to be Y. Um, and it's really challenging. And I, I have a lot of empathy for young people who are trying to kind of get this figured out. Um, and we'll just have to see how it plays out and where it lands. But, uh, you know, again, I don't think we need to be fearful of. And that's what I see in some circles. It's this fear of change and fear of we're losing control and, you know, we're, we're, we're losing something. I don't think we're losing something. I, I think there are confusing aspects of it, and there are certainly going to be things that uh, you know go too far. 
But I, I, I think in general, it's going to be, and maybe it's because I'm an optimistic person, but I think this is, I see a, a world that's getting better, not worse. Hmm. Uh, and and I, maybe that's a good place to, to land here for this, for me. Yeah. No, I appreciate your insight. And I think this has been, uh, this has been a good discussion. And I feel like it's, um, yeah, the thing that we've kind of both said in different ways, but we're clearly in a cultural moment. And there is a lot of change happening on a massive level. And the kids today growing up, students growing up today are in the midst of that flux, in the midst of that change. And so we as adults can look back. I mean, I just, again, looked back to when I was a kid, like you brought up social media earlier, and that is that is such a thing in so many ways. Um, when I think of growing up in 11 to you know 18 years old i mean the internet i got my first computer and aol when i was 15 um and just thinking about what would my teen years have been like if i had instagram and snapchat and tiktok and the pressure of conforming to that image to you know the the look i mean it definitely was present in high school that you know you're supposed to be this again pecs and you have, you know, chiseled abs and you're this, you know, muscular guy, but it really wasn't to this level of it being on the internet and like, you know, the, the stuff that they're compared with today. And I read a, a, a book I highly recommend. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called the wisdom pyramid. I actually have it sitting next to me on my desk here. It's by Brett Mc, McCracken. Uh, anyways, it was one of these books that I read. I'm planning to reread it actually, because it was just so filled with so many um, things that I'd been thinking about over the last few years and, and just how, how we as a society are getting information. How do we find truth? How do we um, limit and change those inputs? Because I think you talk about, and again, we've talked a lot about this boy growing up in night my grandfather growing up in the 30s and 40s you think about the amount of information that he had to process in a day or in a week versus the daily amount of information that the typical teen has to process in a day in 2021 i mean good lord like how does that not have an effect on a human brain like he makes the point in the book yeah. that that's Literally, our, our brains were not created to take that information, that much information in. Imagine if you're in, in World War II and, and you have a cell phone and, and you're looking at tweets uh, from people in Germany and France and Poland and you're interacting with things that are happening in Japan and just like, I mean, that level of awareness to the global like community as to what's going on. Um, I think is having unbelievable effects of anxiety and confusion and uncertainty. And to your point, that's good and bad, right? It, it, it's a good thing in some ways, but it's definitely a bad thing when you compare the kid growing up in Ohio in the 40s to, you know, 2021 today, who has that kind of global input. I think kids are just being blown away um, and then you add to that what we just went through with COVID and social unrest and just all the things, you know, the Me Too generation or the Me Too movement. Um, all these things are just massive mentally for these kids to process. Um, so again, I'm kind of rambling, but I think that's, that's where there's just so much input coming into these teens' lives now. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Interesting times indeed. And We'll have to see how it go, where it goes, and I look forward to you and I um, collaborating over the coming years, just in terms of a friendship and seeing where where the world goes and and, uh, and navigating our way through. For sure. Well, I appreciate your time today, Kirk, and uh, yeah, maybe we'll have you on again, and maybe do a part two or talk about something different. But this has been uh, this has been good to chat with you. Likewise, thanks for having me. Man, if I could just have conversations like that every week on the podcast, bringing guests on who I don't agree with 100% on every point, 
But man, if that wasn't an interesting, stimulating conversation to ha- that we had today with Kirk, I hope it made you guys think. It is obviously a hugely complex topic about uh, masculinity, what makes a man, what makes strength, how we're in this big culture shift. Uh, it was just a very interesting topic. Obviously, books can be written, will be written and sold on that topic. And uh, I thoroughly enjoyed chatting with Kirk and genuinely look forward to uh, hiking with him sometime soon and maybe on that hike coming up with uh, another topic to share with you guys here on the podcast. We're always looking for new guests. So if you want to uh, chat about some culture-related topics like we did today, or we can talk about technology or faith, whatever uh, whatever floats your boat, whatever you're interested in. Uh, so just definitely just let me know if you're interested. But for everybody, if you like what you heard today, be sure and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. As always, we hope you enjoyed this and all of our episodes on the Cultured Christian Podcast. Please join the conversation over on our Reddit. Also like and interact with us on our Instagram and Facebook page. And lastly, if you have feedback or topic ideas, please email us at culturedchristians at gmail.com. And we look forward to seeing you in the next one.